This is the EWN Podcast Network. Are you ready to live your life by your rules? Need some inspiration? Welcome to First Class Life, Redefining Success, the podcast that brings you interviews with people who have had their life path challenged and have redefined what success and a first-class life really means to them. With tales of roads taken, detours explored, turning points, and transformation, here is your host, First Class Life mentor, Kate Fessler. Welcome to First Class Life, Redefining Success. I'm your host, Kate Fessler, and today my guest is Bridget Brady. Bridget is an award-winning singer, songwriter, and actor. She is also an Amazon number one international best-selling author. She spent 10 years doing theater in New York City before moving to Los Angeles to work in film and television. You've seen her in many feature films, including Dreamland, Dark Canvas, and Steam. You've also seen her on shows like Allie McBeal, Off Center, and Saturday Night Live. Most recently, Bridget has been focused on her music career, and she currently sings with two incredible groups, Make Mine Acoustic and The Wonderells, who both perform regularly in Los Angeles and all over the country. She most recently won the award for Best Original Song in a Short Film at the London International Film Festival. Her brand new single, Choose to Forgive, is available now through all major music outlets, and her EP will be released in November 2018. Welcome, Bridget. Thanks, Kate. I'm super excited to be here. Let's go back a ways. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Ooh, well, so that's easy and and, and boring. Uh, I wanted to be a singer and an actor and a dancer for as long as I can remember. And as a matter of fact, uh, my mother will tell you that I sang before I could speak. So I was, yes, (laughs) I I apparently was singing, you know, as of like six months old. And I didn't start talking till I was, you know, nine or 10 months old or whenever babies start talking. So uh, yeah, I have always, always, always wanted to be a singer and an actor and a dancer and different permutations of that. So when did you know that you had the talent for that, that you could maybe turn that into career, that you had something special you could really grow and refine? Probably, I mean, early. So I was, I was a crazy overachiever child, kind of like I'm a crazy overachiever adult. (laughs) So I, you know, I went to Montessori school when I was three. So I was reading and writing at the age of three. And then I went to, I started kindergarten when I was four. And, um, you know, I, I, I feel like this sounds so, you know, boastful or whatever, but it's not like I just was a little, it was, it's kind of what I, it's part of my Dharma. I kind of was like born into this incarnation this way. Apparently when I was, I don't remember this, but apparently when I was two years old, anytime we'd go to a restaurant, which wasn't all that often, but anytime we'd go to a restaurant and you know, I, my parents let me do it. They'd be so annoying to me now. They would let me, I would go table to table and ask every table if they wanted a song. And I started and I would sing a song for them. So I, I kind of feel like it was something I was, honestly, that I was born with. And then I don't know the answer to like when, I mean, just ever since I can remember, I was, and we'll get way more into this as we, as we go, like the, the sort of like behind the scenes reasons I felt this way so strongly. But ever since I can remember, 
I was like, someday I'm going to be a famous singer. (laughs) Someday I'm going to, so kind of ever since I can remember. And then I just never questioned it. I never questioned it from the time I was like four years old. I just said, this is what I'm going to do. Wow. So it never even occurred to you like, wow, maybe this isn't going to work. Maybe I should, you know, find a a different way to make my way in the world. It, that didn't occur to me until, uh, which is a story we can tell or not tell. It's a pretty interesting story. Uh, that didn't occur to me until I was 19 out of college, living in West Harlem, not, not having enough money to eat every day in New York city, uh, actually went on food stamps, went on welfare twice, ate out of a trash can. Then it occurred to me. That's when it occurred to me. I said, Oh, (laughs) this is, this career is harder to make money in than I thought it would be. Maybe I need to do something else. So the truth is it didn't occur to me until I was 19. So you were, you moved, did you, where did you grow up? First of all, So I grew up all over the country. Uh, I was not a military brat. I was a DJ brat. My father was a disc jockey and we moved. uh, The the count is very close. I tried to count when I was like 25 years old. I'm like, I should count this. So uh, by the time I graduated from college and moved around a lot, my count was that I had moved 53 times and I'd gone to 28 different schools. Wow. Yeah. So I lived... I didn't grow up anywhere. I lived all over the country, but then our family sort of settled in Colorado. So my, my family's still in Colorado. So I'm a Colorado girl. I went to high school there. So I feel a deep root and connection to Colorado. And then I moved to New York city when I was 17 to go to college. So, and I spent 10 years there from the age of 17 to 27 So there's also a part of me that feels like I'm from New York a little bit because I spent my developmental young adult years in, in New York city. So you went to New York to go to college Mm -hmm. to study acting, presumably singing all of the stuff that you wanted to do. Okay. Musical theater major. And so you graduate from college and you're like, this should be easy, right? Now I've got a degree. I've been good at this my whole life. I'll just kind of waltz in and get a job. And it sounds like maybe it didn't work out that way. (laughs) It did not. And what's so funny is that I actually, I got the very first uh, audition. I got the very first job that I ever professional. I mean, I worked like semi-professional even as a kid. Like I did a few commercials. I did regional theater. Like I did a lot of stuff. I was in the Colorado Children's Corral in Colorado. Um, But then when I graduated school, the very first audition I ever went to was to, uh, for the musical Annie at the Fireside Dinner Theater in Wisconsin. And I got it. So in a weird way, that didn't help me either. I'm like, oh, you just go to one audition and then you book the job (laughs) and then you go and do that. And so, you know, so I went and did that. And what's funny is that I, it's not that I didn't work as an actor, I spent two years in New York City, you know, mostly kind of trying to work as an actor. But what is, what I didn't realize is that dinner theater, summer stock theater, black box theater, 
off off Broadway, way the mm, off Broadway, those kind of gigs, like they're real gigs that hundreds of people are competing for. And at the time, this is a long time ago, that paid like $200 a week. Mm. So I was making $800 a month living in New York City. So that was the problem. It wasn't so much that I wasn't booking jobs. I was booking jobs, but jobs that weren't enough, weren't nearly enough money to support oneself in New York City. Yeah. So did you do like a lot of people do on sort of wait tables or were you just sort of like, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to do any, let anything else distract me? No, no. I did a million horrific jobs um, between the eight. Well, I worked even when I was in school. So from when I was 17 up until when I finally like said, my gosh, I have to change something when I was on 21. Uh, I did a million horrific jobs. I did wait tables for about six months. It wasn't for me. Like I wasn't good at it. I mean, I was good at it, but I hated it. So I did a lot of jobs like spraying perfume on people in department stores. Oh, um, yeah. I've had it. that happen to me. <laughs> yes. I sprayed you with perfume. Um, it could have been. I passed out flyers on the street. I was would stand at convention centers and like you know model a thing. Oh, look at this thing. Um, oh, I was an in store live mannequin for a while. I cool. literally was paid to like stand in clothing and be a mannequin. Um, I was a model at art schools. I mean, I just did. Like you name it, I did it. I did a million and one weird jobs. And then um, the the sort of end of this story, the moral of the story is after two years of doing that and sort of coming to the realization that, you know, like not eating every day was not fun for me. Like that I was not into that. Uh, that's when... I, which is like a whole other story, but I ended up going into technology and I, cause I had a bunch of friends and I was making 200 bucks a week and they were making $200 an hour. Yeah. And I'm like, um, this is not like, I have to, I have to change something. So when I was 21, I ended up going into technology. I became a software developer and I ended up working on wall street for seven years and I was, do, I was a Wall Street girl by day doing software development and theater girl by night. So, you know, I worked, whatever. I worked in a cubicle in a suit every day. And then I would take the Crosstown bus over to the theater district every night and get changed and do a show. So that was my life in New York for at least, I was in New York for 10 years, but I did that for like at least seven, seven or eight years. Hmm. Well, I worked in the technology industry in my corporate career, and I think that there are a lot of, so there's a very strong um, relationship between music and math, apparently, and software coding and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I knew a lot of people who had gigs at night who were like musicians and, you know, did other things, just more creative stuff. But during the day, you're right, you do it to make the money and then you do your thing at night. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I did that for a long time and that was, it was, I mean, the truth is it was amazing. And the rest of the truth is I did it at the perfect age because, you know, between working my wall street gig during the day and theater at night, I mean, I, I was sleeping like four hours a night, maybe 
like maybe by the time I got home and before I had to wake up to like take the bus back down to Wall Street, you know, I had like maybe three or four hours in my apartment. So I would like hurry up and get ready for bed and like try to sleep really fast before I had to get up the next morning. So uh, yeah, so after doing that for seven years, I was super burnt out, but I did it at the right, I did it at the right Oh yeah, your twenties is exactly the right time. Twenties, right? You can do it then. Yeah, late (laughs) teens, early twenties. That is the time to sleep three hours a night for seven years straight. That was the time, and it was amazing. (laughs) And it was amazing. Like I had an incredible time, honestly. So when was it? When you were in New York that you were on Saturday Night Live, or was it after you had moved? It was. It was in New York, and it was a million years ago. And it was. uh, I was in one. I was in one episode and I was in a mango sketch. Um, But I mean, I'm sure it lives, it lives out there somewhere. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) It lives, it lives somewhere. Yes, that was in New York. And then uh, I'd also done a few commercials. I obviously did tons and tons and tons of theater, which is an interesting thing for theater versus like film and television actors. And now like recording artists is some of the best work I ever did was in theater and it's, it's, it's lost forever. Oh, because you know it wasn't I mean? recorded, like, yeah. It wasn't necessarily recorded. And even if it was recorded, live theater isn't really meant to be recorded. So even right. if it was recorded, it's kind of lost. So it's an interesting thing as, as, an, as an actor, people are like, oh, what, you know, what have you done? I'm like, well, I did this one little thing on Ally McBeal. I did this one little thing on SNL. I did this one little thing. I'm like, but I did like 10 years of incredible work in the New York theater. Yeah. But it's gone. It's gone forever, which is, I don't know. It's just an interesting, you know, the, the temperance of existence or whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. So what made you decide to, uh, Leave New York for Tinseltown. So a couple things. Honestly, mostly film and television. So mostly I had also, so again, you know, you, you were in your 20s once, right? <laughs> so you have all these, I had all these realizations. Mm. And one of the realizations I had after, again, working over 100 hours a week for seven years straight, or at least seven years straight, I'm like, man, uh, even if I reach the pinnacle of New York theater, which at the time, like an equity leading role contract, unless you were a famous person on Broadway, was like 1500 a month or 15, 1500 a week, 1500 a month, 1500 a week. Sorry, 1500. Oh, it would have to be 1500 a week. Oh my goodness. That was 1500 a week. So uh, again, this was a long time ago. So it was 1500 a week. And I remember thinking, all right. So even if I make it, I mean, make it. And then I'm working, you know, and obviously like if I was actually in, if I was a leading role in a Broadway show, I wouldn't be able to be doing this 80 hours a week in corporate America thing. Mm -mm. (laughs) So I was like, wow, I'm going to like, I'm going to live in New York city. And even if I achieve like the ultimate dream of all my dreams and I have a leading role on Broadway, like I'm making 50 or $60,000 a year. And it's kind of like the most I can hope for. And not that it's all about the money. It's not. Well, but, but New York City is not a cheap place to live. Right. But if you've ever lived in New York City, you know that 
It's, I mean, it's ridiculous. I live in Los Angeles now. People are like, it's so expensive here. I'm like, no, it is not. (laughs) I mean, it is, but it is nothing compared to living in New York City. So it was somewhere between, gosh, I don't don't want to spend the rest of my life, you know, with... Fifty or sixty thousand dollars a year being the most money I could possibly make, like that doesn't sound like a good idea. And I was really burnt out from working too much. Um, I'd gone through a really, really bad breakup with the man I thought I was going to marry. That thankfully I did not marry. We were not meant to be together. Lovely man, but not meant. Not we were not meant for each other. And. You know, so he had broken up with me. I was super burnt out. I sort of had this realization. I wanted to do more film and television. At that point, I'd done uh, Saturday Night Live. I'd done a few commercials. I did a few independent films. And I'm like, man, I, I really think I'd like to work in film and television. And I had an awesome career coach who's still, she's out, she's bi-coastal. She's still around, Gwen Gillis. She's amazing. And she, I kept saying, well, I really want to do more film and television. I really want to do more film and television. And she's like, why are you in New York City? I'm like, what's well, my home? Like, this is New York. Like, I'm a New York girl. And well, they like, do TV in New York. Some. They, well, more now. More now than then, right? Mm-hmm. This was a few years ago, several years ago. So after all, like, after all was said and done, I just said, well, you know, like, there's nothing, uh, you know, I'm not loving my job. I'm super burnt out. My fiance, my almost fiance broke up with me and I'm going to LA. Yeah. What the heck? Nothing to lose, right? Nothing to lose. And I literally picked up and I had, I knew one person who lived out here. Actually, my best friend from high school lived in LA. So I knew one human who lived in Los Angeles. And I just, I mean, it was like on a whim. I just picked up, I called a moving company and I moved to LA. I did that once in my life, not to LA, but I picked up, I actually went on vacation and I had still been living at home. And so I called my mom and I said, "Um, could you sell my car? Cause I'm going to (laughs) stay. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. Were you, were you in your twenties? I was. Yes. That is the best time to make crazy impulsive decisions. Yeah. 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 I agree. So were all of this time, were you still, were you writing songs, singing songs, or was your singing sort of just tied to the, the performances? So it was, at that time, it was mostly tied to musical theater at the time. However, I sang with a couple of really random bands in New York. Um, oh, one of them was amazing. I sang with a techno band, actually. That was amazing. We were called, uh, were we Lightspeed? I mean, this is a long time ago. I sang with a blues band called Steve Marshall and the Deputies. I sang, so I sang with a, a few different like sort of just, I mean, really random bands, but I performed at CBGB's. Like I, we had some really fun New York city gigs. Awesome. I did a gig at CBGB's. I, I don't know. I did gigs all around New York city. So I did that. I was still writing songs for sure. And, uh, but in terms of m- the majority of my performances at that time were all geared towards musical theater at the time. But yeah, mm-hmm. I was writing and I was singing with really kind of random funny bands. Well, it sounds like you have quite a range then. I hope so. Yes. (laughs) So you recently won the award for best original song in a short film at the London International Film Festival. Tell me about that. 
Oh my gosh, that's so amazing. So I was interestingly enough. So I MC. I live in I live in Los Angeles. I MC the Simi Valley Town Center tree lighting every year. Okay. It's a huge event. It's awesome. Like literally, like eight thousand people come. And this a couple of years ago in the audience was the producer of a film called The Admired. And she saw me MC. And when I MC, I also I sing. I sing. I MC. It's like a whole night of entertainment. So she saw me sing and she was like, oh my gosh, you're amazing. Your voice is transcendent, yada, yada. I want you to be in my film and I want you to play. There's a role. Her name is Corrine and she's the jazz singer in the club where the film is sort of where it's set. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'd love to do that. So it's interesting how life presents us opportunities. And I didn't make this up, but I'm a big believer in this. Say yes and then figure it out, mm-hmm. right? Like just... I do my best to be a yes in life. As a matter of fact, in my 20s, I used to have sticky notes all over my house that just said yes. Just yes. So, uh, so she said, I want you to be in this film. I'm like, oh my gosh, of course, I'd love to be in this film. And then she was having some, a little bit of trouble uh, getting music together for the film. She was having a little bit of trouble getting the title track and she had needed some other music and she had no idea that I was a songwriter. And I said, well, I'm a, I'm a songwriter. Let me, let me write, let me write something for you. Let me see if you like it. So I ended up writing the title track for the film. The track is called when you're admired. I ended up writing the title track. I gave it to her. She loved it. She loved it so much that she also hired me to write two additional songs for the film And it's a song, I sing it with the lead in the film, Jacqueline Murphy, amazing, beautiful actress and producer. So with Jacqueline, we sing my my song, When You're Admired, in the film The Admired, and it got submitted to a ton of film festivals. And lo and behold, I don't have it with you, I would show it, I have a certificate suitable for framing. Oh, very nice. (laughs) But it's not yet framed. And lo and behold, uh, I won the, you know, best original song in a short film at the London International Film Festival. And I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And you're in the film as well. And I'm in the film. I play Queen Sydney, jazz singer. Awesome. It was really fun. And it's called Admired. And can we find it like somewhere? Yeah, yeah. You can find it, I think, a lot of places. It's called The Admired. And the Admired, uh, okay. Yeah, The Admired, and it's by Jacqueline. It's a Jacqueline Murphy film. Okay. So, so you are still singing now. Uh, yes. And you have a new single. I do. Choose to Forgive that's mm-hmm. deeply personal to you. It is. I heard it recently and was so moved by it. What's the story behind it? So that is, it's very interesting. So I grew up and was, I grew up in an abusive household and was abused by my father, who is not only uh, was abusive, but my dad is an alcoholic. And there was a lot of, it was honestly like a very, very difficult childhood living with him. And that was, I left home when I was 17. And I actually excommunicated uh, my dad from my kingdom when I was 19. <laughs> I said, we're, we're done. And an interesting thing happens when you are abused 
as a child, and this is going to be no surprise to anyone who has ever uh, been abused or been to therapy or knows anyone who's been abused, uh, it does not just magically go away when you move out of the house. So even though the abuse occurred from, you know, the age of whatever, three or four until I was 17, I realized as I got older and older that I was still operating from that place of abuse. I was still making decisions from the place of abuse. I was still dating (laughs) some winners. I was still dating a lot of horrible, abusive men coming from like that place of abuse. So, um, so the song, and again, like fast forward so many years of like working through stuff and therapy and realizations and bad relationships and good relationships and working, 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 working. Uh, and I actually wrote the song about four years ago. So I, it, had, it, it was a journey to actually get it produced and released. But about four years ago, I, again, without like too many long stories and circles, we could be here for hours. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I realized for myself and everyone has their own journey. Everyone has their own journey. But for myself, I realized that if I was going to let go truly of my past and my dad, that I had to find something that looked like forgiveness. And the reason I say something that looks like forgiveness is because, man, you know, even now, after years and after writing the song and after therapy and all the things that I went through, uh, there's actually a lyric in the song and it says, can you tell me what forgiveness means? Like forgiveness is a, for me, has been a tricky road been a tricky road to navigate for me um so because for me it doesn't mean what he did was okay right so it doesn't mean what he did no, was oh okay. right it never does that's something right. that people often confuse they say i can't yeah. forgive because then it's like saying that it didn't matter it's or if it's okay but that's absolutely not the case <laughs> absolutely not the case and so i find again years and years and years so i finally came to a place where I deeply realized that forgiveness was for me Mm -hmm. and it was for me to take all those feelings and all that past and all those voices in my head and all my knee jerk reactions and trigger reactions to things in my life. And finally, in a weird way, actually package them up and hand them back to my father, to the universe to wherever, but hand it back and say, this, this isn't me. This, this was, this is my abuse. And now I'm going to hand it back and I'm going to move on with my life. So for me, the song is, it is, it's deeply personal. Some people are like, how how are you crazy? Like, how could you have put that out in the world? And for me, it was, of course, for myself, my own therapy, part of my own journey of forgiveness and it is uh, something that I'm really passionate about is ending child abuse. And I know it's a lofty thing and I know that it may never end, but I would love to be part of the end of child abuse. So for me, I wrote the song, of course, for myself, but I also wrote it for every daughter, every son, 
every human who has ever been abused really in any way. And just as a, as a hope, as a prayer that my song could have any tiny part in healing or hope in the world for people who have suffered abuse. Um, and to that end, <laughs> I know I've dabbled for a long time. And to that end, uh, I'm also actually donating a portion of proceeds from uh, my song, From Choose to Forgive, to a wonderful nonprofit organization called Prevent Child Abuse America. So not only am I trying to spread awareness and healing and hope and love, and I'm also, you know, going to give some money to an, a charity that I believe in that is that their belief is also, you know, they're also working on ending childhood abuse. So there you go. That's awesome. And one of the things that you said that I think is also really important, you know, when you said people are like, well, how could you put that out there? Well, part of coming from an abusive background is the shame that you feel right? And you don't want people to know. And that also can hold you back. And so when you realize that, you know what, it's not me, mm -hmm. right? It's something that happened to me. And, you know, I, it's, it's not my fault, right? Right. Um, right. You know, then that helps you to kind of get to that place of, okay, I, I don't have to accept this as who I am. Like you said, it's not me. I give it back to you. It's not mine. Um, right. You know, and that does lead to healing. So I love that, that, uh, that you've done that because it really does when people hear that and see, Oh, it's not this dirty little secret of mine. Like it's happened to other people. And if they can talk about it, maybe I can, bring myself to get to that place too. So that's fantastic. And the, that you're, you know, helping, it would be nice to end child abuse. Um, you know, I don't think it's impossible, but uh, I think we have a very, very long way to go. But, you know, every step in the right direction helps. And uh, if you can reduce it, then that's a victory too, right? Yeah. Well, and, and of course, and we have a long way to go. We have a long way to go on a lot of these issues right now, right? Like we're in a really timely place, uh, not to, and I won't get political, but in our country with uh, rights and the Me Too movement and women's rights. And, you know, we're, it's interesting. I actually think as hard as a lot of this has been to go through and uncover for people, I actually think we're kind of in a little bit of an age of enlightenment here. Mm -hmm. It's no longer just, right? The shame that it's no longer just being sweeped under the rug, although I'm, I'm sure it still is. Right. But there's at least a little, there's a little bit of like a, a voice and a raising a hand and saying, right, me too. And I suffered abuse or I had this happen to me. So I think that's really amazing. And uh, I feel like I was going to say something else about that. Oh yes. It would be, I, you know, honestly, just like, I don't know what's wrong with people. Like, children are the most innocent things in the world and child abuse is insane to me, like insane to me. And it would, I'm like, part of me is like, why, how does child abuse even exist? Um, <laughs> we could bring a therapist on to talk about that. Yeah. Well, part but, of it I think is the cycle, right? Like the abuser, yes. uh, the abused becomes the abuser. Yes. Because yes. they don't know any better or it doesn't, it doesn't, they don't become enlightened. And so they just think that's the way it is. That's right. You're supposed to treat people. Right. And then it is our 
job, or I won't say our, my, um, <laughs> it's my job as an enlightened human being or as enlightened as I possibly can be, right, to stop the cycle, to mm-hmm. stop it and say no more. And, and right, and then I'm, I'm a songwriter, I'm an artist. So the thing that I can do is I can write a song about it and I can, I can bring awareness and again, like hopefully hope and healing in that way. And also your song also conveys that it is a journey. You don't just wake up one day and go, I'm just going to forgive and give it back. (laughs) Yes. Although I wish, right. I wish that's what it was like, but no, it is, it's definitely a journey. Um, I'm trying to think. So yeah, even, in my song, so, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about how people can get it, but in my song, you know, I sort of talk about a little bit about the child abuse at the beginning, and then in the, in the bridge, in the middle of the song, there's a lyric that says, years and years go by, and you don't get to share in my life. Mm-hmm. I've been holding on to hate. I've got to find another way. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a, it's a, Yeah. And it's, and the song is very deep. I mean, like I said, when I heard it, I was like, oh my God, because, you know, I experienced a little bit of that in my life and also did not have a relationship with my father um, after a certain point of my adulthood. Um, And yeah, it it is a journey. (laughs) And like all journeys, you never really reach your destination, but you can only hope to have a better experience along the way. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say that it's a journey that I'm still on. Right. And I, 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 I hate, I hate that. Like I, I wish, I wish there was a way to be like, ha ha, I am done. I have achieved it. But I don't, I, I don't think that that's how it works. I think it is like a continuous journey. It is a moment to moment choice. Thus this the title of the song, Choose to Forgive, it's a moment-to-moment choice to choose forgiveness over hate and carrying around all that crap in your body forever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it hurts you more than it hurts them at this point in your life. Right, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. So you're now focusing on your music. I am. And I will say you have an amazing voice. Thank you. And that just brings even more beauty to the song. Um, uh, But you perform with two, in your words, incredible groups. (laughs) Um, Make Mine Acoustic and The Wanderells. Yeah. What style of music, you alluded earlier to, you were kind of all across the board in New York. What style of music, and is each distinctly different? Oh, they're so different. So uh, now that my, so my single was released in October. Uh, my EP comes out in November. So more, more songs coming your way. And uh, I'm now starting to go out. I'm now performing as Bridget Brady with my own band and doing that as well. Oh, okay. I've been singing for years with uh, my two groups, Make Mine Acoustic, which is an eclectic acoustic trio two guitars, three voices, the best dang harmonies you've ever heard in your life. And we literally perform, we perform my songs. (laughs) So it's actually really cool. I got to kind of workshop and I still do. I have like 10 more songs ready to go. We, I get to kind of workshop my songs with Make Mine Acoustic. So we sing everything from, you know, modern sort of like 
kind of soft pop, um, Sam Smith kind of kind of stuff to some country stuff like Little Big Town, Lyle Lovett. Uh, we do a whole group of um, just great kind of folk music, Simon and Garfunkel, uh, James Taylor. So we're really that group is really focused on just like beautiful harmonies, beautiful singing. And then, and this is what a lot of my music is, is just really like delicious, like heartfelt, just like yummy, like music that's delicious. So, and that's what, that's what I love too. Like officially, uh, you know, I'm a singer songwriter. I'm a pop singer officially. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) everything, as you know, you've heard choose to forgive. Everything I do comes from like a really like deep not necessarily that it's like all sad and about child abuse and forgiveness but it comes from like a really deep place and I really like to make my music really personal really heartfelt and like I said just like delicious like I I like my music to be tasty so (laughs) that's what I do so that's make mine acoustic and then the wonderells I've actually sung on and off with the wonderells for years and oh man that's it's that is just pure fun we are a 50s and 60s 50s 60s and 70s girl group so that is poodle skirts and saddle shoes and Johnny be good and Johnny angel and rock around the clock and that is like that is just like a world of of just fun that's like a world of nostalgic fun is what that is so I sung them for you. Like fun. Oh, yeah so much fun so I still and that actually also that harkens back way more to my musical theater background the Wonderells is very much I mean it's a show we have dancing we have choreography we have dialogue it's just nostalgic yum and then Make Mine Acoustic is a little bit more, for me, it's like, you know, it's a little deeper. It's a little more like, listen to these beautiful harmonies. And then, of course, my own music as well is definitely like very, very, very soulful, very heartfelt, everything that I do. So the songs that you write, yes. where do you get your inspiration? And are they all sort of somewhat autobiographical or are some just you know, inspired elsewhere. So at this, at this moment, my, at this exact moment, all of my songs are absolutely autobiographical. Um, And so uh, I have a song, (laughs) I have a song called, um, my new EP coming out called I'd Rather Be Alone. It is an awesome song. And it's actually about, um, after, it's funny, everything ties together, right? I guess, because it's my life. So after years of horrific relationships, I said, I, what is the common denominator here? The common denominator is me. So I am going to take a step back. I am going to not date. I'm going to figure, I'm going to figure out like why my picker is broken. Like, why am I picking these horrific men to spend my, to spend my time with? So I took a step back. I took a five-year hiatus, like from anything no dating, no nothing. Like I was like, just me and myself and I, I'm going to figure this out. And after that time I said, okay, I'm going to get back into the dating world. And I was encouraged by a friend to do online dating. Mm. Now here's what's interesting. I don't poo poo online dating, but I will tell you that I did about a year and a half of online dating and went on 50 of the worst dates I'd ever been on in my life. And, and, and so thus the song, 
I'd Rather Be Alone was born. So that's a song that I wrote as an homage to the 50 worst dates that I've ever had in my entire life. So, (laughs) yes. Didn't someone write a book about that, like 50 worst dates? Oh, I think there's a great movie called 50 First. Oh, 50 First Dates. Okay. So I wasn't even, like, it literally... I, I, we could call it 60 worst dates. I don't, I didn't know exactly how many it was, but it was like almost a date a week for like a year, a year and a half. And they were all bad. Really? Oh, that's discouraging. (laughs) Oh, well, it was so discouraging that I gave up. And then right after, you know, like literally right after I kind of gave up the intensive search uh, is when I met my current boyfriend, who's incredible and amazing and I finally recalibrated my picker so it was after I gave up all the craziness right after that I actually met my current boyfriend and we're awesome so well congratulations thanks it's good yeah I know people who have had mixed results with online dating I know some people who've met their spouses and they're happily married many many years later oh, yeah me too. and I know people who have had the same experience as you um where it just was a complete well, and it was horrible, but in, in 100% transparency, I met my current boyfriend. Uh, he was like the last person that I clicked, you know, like communicate with or something in the online dating world, but I had already given up. Like I'd already like, Ugh, I'm over this. I'm not doing this anymore, um, but I'd already paid for the month and I'm very frugal. <laughs> I'm very responsible with my money. <laughs> like, well, I already paid for the rest of the month. So you know what? And I was very like, fine fine, good enough, whatever, fine, I don't care. <laughs> and one of those people is my boyfriend. <laughs> so I actually ended up meeting him online dating, but it was a really wild ride to get there. <laughs> there you well, go. good for you. I hope it continues to be wonderful. Thank you. So we are at the point in the program now where I have to ask you, what is one book or resource that changed your life that you would recommend to people? Ooh, yay. So the one there's so many. I'm, I'm a reader. I am a super reader. So there's a lot. But the one that I thought of in particular for this show that I thought was also apropos to our interview is called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And I actually also like really went through that book in my 20s. And not only do I highly recommend it as a book, but whether you're an artist or you're not an artist, Uh, I highly recommend actually doing, she has all these incredible exercises, morning pages and your once a week artist date. And there's just so many incredible exercises. And Julia Cameron is a spiritual genius. And so I highly, the artist's way, whether you're an artist or not, I cannot more highly recommend that book. Yeah, I agree. I do not consider myself an artist. So I was initially resistant. But many years ago, I also picked that book up. And the morning pages were quite cathartic. Yeah, morning pages. (laughs) They're amazing. Yeah. So Bridget, how do you personally define success? What does your authentic first class life look like? So man, oh man, Kate, if I would have given you such a different answer 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, there was a time for the maj- a really long time in my life where literally I was like, 
I'm going to be rich and I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be rich and I'm going to be famous. And until I'm rich and until I'm famous, like I I lived in, I totally had a someday one day mentality. Someday one day I'm going to be a millionaire and I'm going to have a Grammy and all these things are going to happen. And then I grew, right? And I want to, and I want to be clear. It's actually not that I gave up. I have every intention of still winning a Grammy. I have every intention of being financially incredibly successful. It's not that I gave up those things. But what I realized is that, ooh, this could almost make me emotional. What I realized is that there really is only now. Mm. That's all we have. Someday, one day, literally doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And so today... I define success, my first class life, as being really grateful for what I have today, really present in the sweetness and the amazingness in life, and playing at 100% and still really going after my dreams, going after my goals, being the best human I can possibly be on the planet, living my life as a light in the world and being so grateful for all of it, for every little moment. Mm. As I would expect from a songwriter, very beautifully articulated. <laughs> Thanks. You know what? I really, uh, this is the truth. You told me that question in advance and I forgot to prepare it. So uh, that was nice. So that I, was completely I, from the heart. Completely from the heart. I, 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 cha- I channeled it. Yay. Awesome. Now, I know you can buy the song Choose to Forgive on Amazon because I did. Um, If people want to find out more about the song, you and your work, um, you you know, look for your EP when it comes out, how can they do that? The best, there's a couple ways, but the easiest way is just to go to my website, which is BridgetBrady.com, B-R-I-D-G-E-T. B-R-A-D-Y.com, BridgetBrady.com. And from there, there's actually a snippet of the music video. There are links because you can get it. You can get my song, Choose to Forgive Now, everywhere. You can get it on Amazon, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube Music. There's an official music video, which is awesome, that's on YouTube. So all of those links live on BridgetBrady.com. And then the EP that comes out in November will also be titled Choose to Forgive. So the single is called Choose to Forgive and the EP is called Choose to Forgive. So you certainly can search that. Uh, but you can, BridgetBrady.com is a great way to go. Uh, and I also have all of my social media links on my website. So please, 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 you know, of course, download the song and listen to it and give it five-star reviews and thumbs up and all those things that, <laughs> that artists love. Yeah, and Yeah, and please come connect with me on social media. I'm actually the, T-H-E, the Bridget Brady across all social media platforms. So you can also connect with me on social media. The one and only Bridget Brady. What about your uh, singing engagements where your band will be playing? Yes, or one, so, of, one of the bands that you sing with play. <laughs> yes. Uh, so a couple things. One, I don't, uh, I need to be a little, I need to be a little bit better about keeping my gigs updated on my website. But in the meantime, uh, you can get on my gig 
mailing list, like where, where and when I'll be playing. And I promise it's not, that's all that it is. It's not, it's not spammerific. It's not like it's literally like where I'm going to be playing or if my EP comes out. So that's also on BridgetBrady.com. You can uh, join my mailing list and I will let you know where and when I am playing. And of course I post all that on social media. So if you follow me on social media, I, I always post that on there for you too. Perfect. So what's next for Bridget Brady? Mm. Well, the big thing that I'm focused on right now is my EP release in November. So I literally just got the files back from uh, my from mastering. So I just have the files back and I'm about to put those through all the distribution channels. So my big EP comes out in November and I'm just really looking to, at this moment, promote the EP play out as much as I can. And then like probably most artists and songwriters, I have like my next 10 or 20 songs percolating in my, oh, I don't have my iPhone, in my body and in my iPhone, <laughs> little ideas for songs. So I really want to promote this EP and then I want to get back to writing and recording my, ne my, my next, my next, how many ever songs. Fantastic. Well, Bridget Brady, award-winning singer, songwriter, and actor. New song, Choose to Forgive, is beautiful. Everyone should go download it right now. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your story with me today, and I'll look forward to that EP coming out soon. Thank you, Kate, and thanks for having me. You are awesome, and this was awesome, and I really appreciate it. But I can't listen anymore. This is no way Incredible, isn't she? There's a lot to unpack in that interview and in the song. I want to point out that this interview was recorded in October of 2018, so Bridget's Choose to Forgive EP is available now, and it's amazing. So I hope you'll buy it, listen to her amazing voice and this amazing song, and others. And really, if there's anything in your life that you need to choose to forgive, this song could become your anthem. Ending child abuse is a worthy goal, and Bridget is donating a portion of the proceeds to that goal. If we all pitch in, whether with money or time, or even just support, we can make a difference. Find out more about Bridget, where you can see her live, and what else is going on with her at BridgetBrady.com. If you'd like to see the video of my interview with Bridget, you can find it on my YouTube channel, First Class Life. I hope you'll join me next week when my guest will be America's Wealth Mentor, Linda P. Jones. Until then, cheers to your authentic First Class Life. I'm Kate Fessler. Thanks for listening to First Class Life, Redefining Success. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of First Class Life, Redefining Success with Kate Fessler. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And for more great content and to stay up to date, visit FirstClassLifeSolutions.com on Twitter at Kate Fessler and on Facebook at First Class Life Solutions. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN podcast hosts at EWNpodcastnetwork.com.